The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Let's get it out of here. Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins tonight on TNT. Curling fans, as America's best curling teams prepare to compete on the world stage, you've come to the one place with everything you need involving USA Curling. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with Bryce Atkinson. Get ready for everything that you need to know. News, interviews, points of view, anything involving Team USA forming and the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea for Team USA Curling is found here. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with Price Atkinson and the 12th In Sports Network crew powered by Isagenix. Episode 44 of the Extra Extra In podcast with the 12th Inch Sports Network, powered by Isogenics. Price Atkinson, home from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, survived and can say that I made it through eight days in the desert in Sin City. Boy, that is a few two days. Uh, too many for me, but boy, what an outstanding event. Joined by Joe Calabrese, co-host and 12th Inch Sports Network co-founder with Brian Anderson. We invoked uh, Joe's name on the podcast last week out in Las Vegas, but Joe has survived the world championship for the men at uh, Orleans Arena. It was a fantastic uh, week, great curling, and an amazing event, really, that was surreal to watch being played in the middle of the desert. Man, welcome back in. It's good to catch up back with you. Hey, thanks, Price. Yeah, it's uh, wonderful to talk to you again. Uh, Sounds like you had a terrific time out in the desert. Uh, my spies told me uh, how great the podcast was out by the patch. Your spies? Yeah. Were you were you up in uh, were you up in a room in the Orleans where you had binoculars and could see down and, and crack that window so you could hear what was going on? No, 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 no. We just had some curling club members that made it out there. Some the former uh, Milwaukee and uh, some Rochester curling club. Uh, folks that uh, let me know how great uh, that that podcast was and and if you hadn't heard it yet go back and listen because it was it was a blast from what it sounded like yeah we had we had a great time Jerry and uh, you know Jerry Gertz obviously from curling zone myself and you know had it had a just a you know guest John Killerin who we had on previously in advance you know he joined us Devin Haru from CBC uh, Canada reporter who's just one of the just was a joy to have on and Corey Dropkin you know was out there hung out with Corey for a while and he joined us uh you know for a segment and of course we had Gushu and and, and Jeff Walker there but it was just a, a a chance to do the podcast live on stage before that kind of audience right at the pool patch I mean the pool patch itself Joe was just insane I mean you think of a normal patch but then you throw it poolside under 80 degree clear sunny skies I mean it was it was epic, and for us to have that chance, you know, just shout out to Rod Paulson and Stu Brown and, and, and again, John Killerin, who, who brought the idea up and, and gave us that opportunity to do it at noon. God, I can't even remember what day it was now. I think it was, uh, what, Thursday, Wednesday last week? That was 
that was really a bucket opportunity. I think it was Thursday because we had the Canada-U.S. game that night. But, uh, yeah, man, just it, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. You know, people that were listening and, uh, you know, had the volume up, people listening at the bar, just chilling in the sun. That that was that was a first for us here on the Extra Extra end. I only wish you could have been a part of it. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous, Price. I'll tell you why. It's it's April 10th as we are recording this, and there's snow falling in Rochester right now. Um, I kept getting photos from uh, people at the patch uh, showing off, the, you know, them getting a tan, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting here freezing my butt off here in Rochester. Uh, it would have been nice to have been out there. Um, you know, tell me, I mean, it's sort of surprising to me, Price, that we had, like, record U.S. attendance at a world championships, apparently, I'm trying to figure out why anybody left the pool, uh, but uh, it was. Uh, it looked like it looked like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was that. And that was. I don't want to say it was an issue, but it certainly was a. Um, it, it was something something that people were cognizant of, especially with the organizing uh, committee, because the patch was such a rocking place to be. You had to pull some of the people away to get them into the arena. Now, of course, the Canadian fans, whenever Canada was playing, really didn't matter. And, and the U.S. fans, you know, whenever they, we were playing, they they were there. But, you know, the patch always had something going on there because it opened at 11 a.m. Uh, every morning. And then, you know, it was, uh, it was open till 7 in the evening and they closed it down. And that's when the pool patch, or not the pool patch, but the patch itself went inside into the Mardi Gras room on the second floor of the Orleans Hotel and Casino. I will tell you, I never even made it to the inside patch because usually after the night draw was over, you know, and working uh, rinkside, we were usually meeting up somewhere downstairs for a, for a cocktail or for a late dinner or something. But it uh, – so, the, the so pool price, pa- I'm sorry. Yeah. Did, did, I'm sorry. Did, did they have, like, a feed of the games, like, at the pool? Could no. Could you watch the games from the pool? No. No, no you couldn't. And they, it was designed that way because they wanted people to not just sit there all day but to go inside and buy tickets to the arena. and um, That makes sense. Yeah, so they did not run a feed outside. And really, the, I mean, the only TVs were up by the bar, the, the, the 360 bar in the back of the pool patch. And that would have been the only place you could have had it. And they didn't have that many TVs. Actually, they had uh, Masters was on pretty much all weekend out there. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was killer, man. It, it, it really was awesome. Saw a lot of, a lot of faces, a lot of families that, that we know and – uh, a lot of uh, curling alumni, you know, De- I mean, Debbie McCormick, you know, hung out with her for a little bit. Uh, you know, the Zezels were there poolside. Uh, God, I mean, I, I can't even get into the Persingers, uh, obviously, with Greg playing. Um, I mean, there were just a lot of people that, that made it a, a, a bucket list to come and, and just to be there for the week. I, in fact, the Zezels might still be there. They were there before I got there, and they were there. I know they were staying a couple days this week. One of the things you mentioned about the cool weather – Everybody, I mean, with the with that system that was blowing through Wisconsin and, and Minnesota getting hit with the snowstorm uh, mid to late week, that was certainly a topic conversation with everybody poolside because they didn't have the heart, and I didn't have the heart to send photos to you of what what it was like out there because I didn't want to rub it in. I just figured we would talk about it with what you guys were going through with weather, but it was, it was magical, man. It was just a, a fantastic setup that, you know, when they envisioned putting together, putting together the event, 
the pool patch, when they came up with that idea, there's no question it was really the, the catalyst for everything going on. I mean, you would see teams. I mean, you just saw teams, you know, hanging out. I mean, it was funny seeing Gushu walk by, you know, one day, one afternoon when they were done. I think they had, like, maybe an early game and done for the day. You know, he's just walking by with his family and holding his two kids' hand, uh, you know, going to a chair, just chilling out, catching some rays. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, you know, I think that's the most the, – my favorite picture, I guess, from the event was uh, – I think it was Tyler George and Lance Steiner sitting by the pool uh, with their gold medals around their neck. And uh, my wife and I were talking about how that, that might leave a, a nice little tan line there for to remember uh, as they get back up to Minnesota. But, uh, you know, they're actually heading to, to Toronto this weekend uh, for the Players' Championship, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but, you know, let's talk about the uh, world from the, the – the playing perspective, uh, Price, I mean, you were there, you saw almost all those games, I would say, and you've got some unique perspective uh, being out there. Uh, let's talk about the roller coaster ride that was Team USA. Um, started one and six. What were you thinking as, as this was developing, this one and six start? Well, I, I was thinking that, oh no, God, please don't let this happen. And obviously it was happening, but. So much of, you know, working so hard in what we saw when those guys played in Fargo and how good they were, you know, at uh, USA Curling Nationals that we broadcast on TSN, just to know how good they were there and then to come and struggle. And, and I say struggle loosely because, you know, they, they beat uh, Japan in that first game. But then you lose, what, six in a row, and it wasn't like they were playing that bad. I mean, all the games outside of being, uh, you know, a 7-2 loss to Nicholas Adin in Sweden, all the other games were close. I mean, they lost them basically on the last stone uh, in, the, in the final end, and four of the five losses during that streak were steals. And so... They just couldn't close, and I and really the gut punch, I think it was, it was Monday when... I still would maintain the two best games they played of the entire tournament was against Norway and Scotland, a doubleheader there on Monday, and they lost both of them. They lost 7-5 to five to Norway and then to Bruce Moat. They lost 7-6. to six. I think those were the two best games that Richie and, and, and Colin and uh, Greg Persinger and, and Phil Tilker, I think that, that was the best they played all week, and it was you know, we'll get into it, uh, but later in the week, you know, when they played Gushu and they and we, you know, upset Canada six to five. And I got in an elevator with nothing but Canadians the following morning on Friday morning. I mean, it, they were all decked out in red because they had an eight thirty game Friday morning. And I got in the elevator about seven forty five, eight o'clock, getting ready to go down to the Orleans Arena from the uh, hotel. And when I got in, they were all still talking about the game, and I didn't have anything USA on. Uh, but I squeezed into the elevator, and they talked about uh, you know USA winning. I just kind of raised my fist and hand. They're like, "Uh oh, we got the enemy in here," and I said, uh, "I said no, 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 no enemy." Um, and they and they said, "Yeah." Uh, one guy, somebody said, "Well, it it took USA's best game they played here to beat us," and I was like, "Actually, no, it wasn't. Actually, they didn't play. I mean, they played well." But they weren't they weren't at their best. I said actually the two best games they played were on Monday and they lost them both. And the and then the guy about right behind me and we were so packed I couldn't turn around because I had my backpack on too and I should have because I wanted to smack him. Was when he said, well, at least y'all y'all aren't going to be in the playoffs because we don't want any part of you guys again. And I was like, <laughs> all right, that's factually incorrect because we still were alive. But I was at the same time I said right. no. 
just let that one go. Door opened, and we went on our merry way. And, of course, the merry way with the U.S. was uh, in the middle of a rally there to get to the playoffs, which was just miraculous because we were having the conversations up on the media bench when they were getting ready to play Germany. Uh, Golly, what was that? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday? Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday morning. And that's when the uh, winning streak started to get into the playoffs that basically that we were having a relegation there was no basically to it we were having a relegation conversation because the team that finished last would be in trouble with their respective uh, in terms of if it was us North America potentially losing a qualification spot for the world championship and so obviously that is all hindsight and it does not matter anymore because you know we went on to finish uh, make the playoffs but yeah it was it was just nothing more than another roller coaster and you know as I told uh Terry Davis and and the guys I said look I've had too many grown men make me cry the last couple months these emotional curling roller coasters at world events I can't take anymore. Just stop it. But it was miraculous what the guys did. Just just incredible. So, Price, you've got a couple interviews from Team USA. Um, quickly, before we get to uh, one or two of those, um, you know, I will give you the Canadian perspective, as I heard it uh, on on uh, the TSN uh, telecast. Yeah. Um, Team USA was sort of confusing, uh, Russ and Cheryl, <laughs> to, uh, quite a Strong agree, particularly when it got to that the playoff game, and uh, they talked a lot about how much conversation there was between the players, and I, I think that we saw that just sort of the way any team I think Richie is on has a lot of communication uh, back and forth. Um, but it, it was interesting to sort of just hear their perspective. It almost sounded like uh, after the Olympics there was sort of an identity crisis for Canada in terms of of curling and, and where they sort of place right now and, and where they stand. And um, it, it was interesting to sort of hear a little bit of doubt and, and confusion um, around what was happening. I mean, they, those, you know, obviously Russ Howard and, and Cheryl Bernard are, are two of the best curlers that ever played the game, but it was kind of yeah. interesting to sort of see um, how the USA process was conf- uh, confounding them to some degree. Yeah. In ter- there was, there was, I, I thought there was some communication, um, it, it, it just things weren't right on the ice. You know, they weren't playing bad, but, you know, everybody was chiming in. The communication wasn't uh, – it, it just there was some uncertainty uh, amongst the guys. And, you know, I, I I definitely think that started to change, and they were, you know, able to just grind out that win over Germany, which they were awful. I mean, Ger- Germany wasn't a good team, in fairness. I had dinner with the Germans and, and a, a great night uh, on um, – Golly, I guess that was a Saturday night, ate with the German team and the coaches and some other supporters. They were just a great bunch of guys. But when it came to actually what they did on night, I mean, they weren't very good. And that's no shot at them. I think that we kind of played down to their level. I think the game being mucked up, I, I, it, we won it. But I think that we were caught in a, a game where we were just kind of uh, sucked in to, you know, some bad shots. And Really, it doesn't matter because we, I mean, we easily won it. it we went at eight to five, but that was really what started the. Uh, I mean, that's what ignited the the rally. Even as bad as we played against Germany, we were not good in that game. Still winning eight to five, um, that that was really the game that that that's what started everything. And then, of course, we beat Italy, and then we go and beat Canada six to five. I'll tell you, it was interesting uh, when you talk uh, about uh, you know Vic and, and Cheryl and everybody like on the TSN broadcast. 
Uh, I, I will tell you that from my perspective and being there and a lot of other people's perspective as well, that that Brad Gushu, in my in my opinion, he came into it with a he came to Worlds with an excuse already um, that he was trotting out from the day he got there. And at first, it was uh, problems that they weren't in their bubble um, like they're used to going to a World Championship or the Olympics. That the uh, everything in Las Vegas, at the, staying at the Orleans, the pool patch there, that there were just distractions. And, you know, he talked about it uh, several times about they, they just couldn't get into a comfort zone. Well, I was, you know, wanted to say, Brad, welcome to the party. Everybody else is dealing with the same thing that you are. Uh, you know, the ice w- was obviously a big complaint of his. Um, it did play a little bit slower all week, and that's not including – uh, the really bad day we had on on Friday when we got bounced out of the playoffs because the ice was the worst it was all week, and that wasn't the ice maker's fault. Without a dehumidification uh, system there, it was 90 degrees outside and abnormally humid in Las Vegas, too, on Friday at 50 degrees. The ice was really bad. Uh, like Richie Ruining called it, it was it was soupy. He put his broom down one time, and, and he couldn't move it. Um, but that's that's not the point. The point was that it really Gushu and those guys, they, they just seemed – they just seemed to be kind of leaning on something every time they met, uh, you know, with the media afterwards. You know, it wasn't an excuse, but what he said after the round robin play before they were going to play the U.S., you know, how he said, well, well, teams can't sleep at night before they play us because they know that we're the best in the world. I mean, it was really kind of arrogant, but I think it was trying to fall back on a crutch because tempering expectations, having lost three in a row to the United States in international play, I can tell you right now that the pressure was 100% on the Canadians in that game when Richie and, and the guys played them. The ice was bad, but Richie, is as he talked about, it hurt our finesse game where they were hitting more and they were able to play through it a lot easier than we were because Greg's uh, draw and freeze and eight, we were really going for the steal of one and, and not getting that one was really what changed that game. But, yeah, it, it was interesting uh, you know, to hear – what came from the Canadian side of things. But, you know, with that being said, let's go ahead and get Richie Ruinen and, and Colin Huffman in because a joint interview with them here. We got a lot more interviews to bring you. Phil Tilker, we'll, ha- we'll hear from him. Got uh, Nicholas Adin, Oscar Erickson from the winning Swedes will bring you. We're going to also bring you the Schuster Q&A from the patch from Saturday afternoon and then a couple special guests, Patrick McDonald and David Markowski. But here's Rich Ruinen and Colin Huffman just on uh, on the loss to Canada on what the roller coaster week was like for them. All right, guys, we knew it was going to be another heavyweight battle out there today. USA and Canada, it was nip and tuck the whole way. The steal in the second kind of got us behind. But just kind of talk about going out there once again, what was the key turning point in this game? Well, you know, I, I rolled out in in the second. Uh, the third was worth second. You would have had a double no matter what, but I rolled out in the third. We just got trapped by the ice. It was uh, They were playing normal weight plus hits the whole time we were trying to play our touch game and it was like soup out there and it was i mean it was you couldn't play those that 10 you know the the control weight hits sometimes they'd carve and sometimes they wouldn't depending on if you had just been down that path and um i mean i'm not blaming the ice i'm just saying it was just he he's played he's played on it 
he's played on it before. He knew he was throwing, they were throwing eight and a half, nine second hits, and we were trying to play our finesse game, and I rolled out on a couple that hurt, and of course the draw on two was a big deal, and um, but we came back and we, you know, got trapped a little bit on that draw in eight two where we, we would have stole one and instead we give them two, and we that's just... That's the turning point. Yeah, that's that's really the 100%. turning point. We battled back, and, and that was the one. And we had we, all the momentum. We had all the momentum, and we did exactly what, he did exactly what we wanted him to yeah. do, and if we come down and freeze on that, we're stealing one, yeah. and and uh, just unfortunately, you have to stay on them hard out of hand, like just hard dust in that one. We were off for just a little bit, and it makes four or five feet difference out there when it's when it's that, that frosty. I mean, it was a yeah, it was a game of two halves. Like we came out a hair flat, maybe in the first five, uh, gave up that steal of two, and I mean, we I don't think any of us were felt like we were behind the eight ball or anything. Just a two one and a steal. Yeah. yeah. Just the steal of one and two. Steal one and two. Yeah. yeah, right. But went to the fifth end break. Phil came out and said, you know, you guys need to bring everything the second half. We came out through double centers in six. I made a good come around. We forced one immediately in six, score two and seven, and they were, they did not look comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if we get that steal in eight, we win the game 100% of the time, yeah. in my opinion. It, it all comes down to that. Uh, even if we, we wanted to make them draw on that last one because it was yeah. just like soup with the outturn, and we thought we thought you know unfortunately Greg's first draw came a little tight on the guard and made gave him that double that run back double. If that's a little higher and he has to draw, draw, yeah, if we can make an outturn draw, he's got problems. I bet you he would have hit if we threw it in top eight. And then we got a great chance of going to an extra, yeah. and he's got to play in the same stuff. That this is one of those games where you did not want to have the last shot in a tie game yeah, to draw, have to draw the four because yeah. it was tough. Yeah. What's this week been like for you guys as a team? Uh, after everything that transpired, you win one, you lose one, six, you win five, you yeah. win the playoffs. Just what has this week been like for you guys? Uh, it's been crazy, obviously. I mean, especially in the wake of uh, John and those guys winning the gold and not coming to the Nationals and playing, you know, us winning and some people looking at it like, like you know, maybe it, it has an asterisk next to it kind of because those guys weren't there. Uh, but coming in here... Starting off the week as poorly as we did, you know, we we wanted to represent not not for all the, I mean, obviously for ourselves and our families and everyone, but also our fellow competitors in the states. Like one thing I always take with me whenever I come into one of these events is, you know, I respect everyone else that we play against so much, and us having a good performance, you know, paints all of the competitors in our country in a good light. And you know, I, I think we have a we have more depth than people think, and uh, us fighting back, I think, showed that. Richie, 10 years ago, you got to do this. You got to do it again this week at Worlds. I think there's no question, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but no question doubt you guys proved you more than belonged here when people said, oh, Schuster's not here. These guys are going to fall off the face. You guys did anything but do that. You gave everybody hell the minute you got here. We could have been 10-1. and one. Yeah, we could have easily been 10-1, and 10-2, and two, or 11-1. and. Eleven and Nine one, and two. yeah. So um, no, we have twelve yeah. games. So 12 ten games. and ten and two, we easily maybe even eleven and one. And they everybody knows that we played every team. We played every team that's in the playoffs to the end. And, and every, I mean, you got your money's worth with us. I think every single game except the Dean at yeah. Sweden went to Last Rock. So, um, you know, we we proved we can play. And uh, unfortunately, we could have maybe if we won a couple more earlier in the week, we would have put ourselves in a better position because maybe we start with the hammer because um, it's tough to it's tough to turn the hammer around against a team like Gushu, but we did. Yeah. And we did everything. We, you know, we got we got nothing to be ashamed of. We played awesome, and everybody knows we can play with anybody in the world. So. 
finally on the men's side. I mean, end of the season, the respect that USA Curling has mm. around the world now, what you guys did, what the guys did in Pyeongchang. Just talk about where you guys see USA Curling right now. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say one thing this did that's good. I mean, like how the Olympics went with those guys being in the basement and then coming back from the dead and us doing the same thing. We've definitely gotten some attention on, on U.S. teams, for better or worse. Like, it's hard not to pay attention because yeah. obviously we're always in it somehow. Uh, but it, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to the Champions Cup in a month, in three weeks, something like that. And hopefully we can have a good performance there, man. I mean, it's a grand slam. It's the last slam of the year, and it's, it's an all-around great time as well. So get some wins there and put ourselves in a good position to maybe have two U.S. teams in the slam circuit next year. I mean, that would be awesome. And, and Heater's right there, too. So, Congratulations. Yeah, I was just going to say that I, I think this has been great for U.S. curling. Hopefully a lot of kids will get involved and we can have uh, more competitive teams maybe 10 years down the road. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think the the in at least in the in the Twin Cities area, it's just crazy curling for curling right now. And, um, you know, maybe we can turn some of these hockey players into uh, <laughs> curlers and, and have, a, have some good runs in, you know, 10 years or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I'm really excited and I feel like we did the country proud and that's what we wanted to do. Congratulations, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. There's Rich Ruinen and Colin Huffman, Joe. And, you know, just those guys, they had a blast. And, you know, as they said, something here or there was a little bit different. Who knows? Uh, We could be playing for a medal. But as I mentioned earlier, the – the tears that I, I it, it call me a baby, yes, but you know, just uh, in working with the guys and 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 doing their social media and stuff, you know, before we got there, when we were out there, you know, just a little even more invested, and even just getting to know them, you know, you just make friends, and you know, was hurting, was hurting for them because they were so far down. Then they they rally and make the playoffs, and we just come up short to Canada. And when Phil walked into the media scrum, and I and I was holding it back, I didn't let Terry see it. Walking down the hall, I intentionally got behind, and I, I was I was trying to hold back the tears because I knew it was going to be waterworks when I saw the guys in the media scrum, and um, I held it in uh, talking with Richie and, and Colin. But then when Phil was a little bit late coming off the ice, and immediately when he comes through, he's just. You know, he's just sobbing. He's kind of got a little smile, but the tears were streaming down his face. And I had to choke it back because I said, look, just take a few minutes, wait. And then, uh, you know, after a few minutes, talk to Richie and, and Colin, which you just heard, and then went back over to Phil. And, you know, talking with him, which will bring you here in just right now, but I, the voices were cracking on both ends. And, you know, from my standpoint, you know, trying to be professional, not not to let that creep in. It was just so hard not to. But here's Phil Phil Tilker, emotional after the game against Canada. Roller coaster. <laughs> um, yeah, got off to a good first game. Granted, a few speed bumps along the way. Played some great games. Got way down. Almost out of it. Came back. We're like thrilled to be here. And uh, another heartbreaker. You guys gave them everything they wanted out there. The ice was tricky. You made them make some shots. You guys missed some shots. They missed some shots. But still, at the end of the day, they had to make a draw to beat you guys and beat the United States. They did. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't. I think they might have thought they we might have got a few more breaks than them the first time we played them and beat them. But I uh, took them to the tenth end again. Uh, I think there's if there if, if there was ever any doubts that we can play with anybody, uh, I think we've erased that this week. Um, no, just a couple. We're like a shot away. We're like one missed, one more made shot that game, and uh, you know we 
we uh, we made one that week. Greg had that freeze in eights, and uh, we thought it was, we were th- wanted to get off it a bit, but it's the, with the different ice conditions, I think we needed to clean that, and it kind of caught and grabbed, and uh, you know Greg threw it well enough. Greg threw it too well to not make that shot. We get in there and steal. Now we're up one. It's a big. That's a big difference. What about getting the chance to play your first world championship here in Las Vegas in front of the fans? These Canadian fans just curling in. Oh, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, even even when the Canadian fans cheer when you miss, um, it's it's an awesome feeling. Uh, it's great for the sports. Um, I can't think of a better place. I, I played in two world championships: one in Victoria, one in yeah. Vegas. I can't think of a better place to go where your friends and family can come watch. I think there was a little bit of uh, frustration on the uh, part of the Canadian fans cheering our misses out there that after three straight wins or losses to the U.S., they were uh, letting a little frustration out. You know, I'm going to be, you know, that could be, uh, you know, um, you know, we all, almost all the volunteers here are Canadian. And uh, so after we beat them, the, after we beat Canada in the round robin game, uh, they were joking with us, telling us that they weren't very happy with us the next morning. But you know, but still, everyone's hanging out and having a good time. They're all excited. I don't take anything away from it. You know, it's um, you know, I, when you get to world stage, I think that's part of some of some of the things you have to uh, you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just part of the game. All right, there, Joe. There you have it. Perspective from the U.S. side, and nothing at all to be ashamed about. Uh, I think one of the things, the questions that was percolating around Las Vegas and you know other people in the sport was how would these guys stack up with it not being a team from the United States named Schuster these guys more than accounted themselves well still coming up short as you heard of of the goals of what Tilker and the boys had set and that was to win a medal yeah you know I I'm so thankful that these guys uh got it together and and rallied um you know makes I think every U.S. curling fan very proud of this team um, you know, Rich talked a little bit before about this maybe being one of his last chances to make a, a, a world championships. Um, I, I certainly hope that this team stays together through the Champions Cup and into next year. They, they have so much, um, I think, potential. Um, they only played about 23 games or something as a team before these worlds. Um, I certainly hope they stick together and kind of and sort of see where this goes next year. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And uh, switching gears now to the to the the playoffs, as obviously the U.S. lost to Canada, uh, we get to the playoffs where uh, the Canadians faced off against a really talented Bruce Moat team uh, in rink from Scotland. I'm telling you, those guys uh, have been watching them all year at the slams. You know, they won a slam earlier in the year, their very first. And, boy, they only lost one game in round-robin play. Uh, and that was to Sweden, and it was a good one against Canada until Canada just ran away with it. And the same thing for the Swedes playing Korea. That was another. Uh, that was another really good game too. Especially Adin and those guys were up uh, what four to two. Then the Koreans get two in the fifth with Hammer, and then coming out of the six, kind of uncharacteristic. I mean, Adin's Nicholas Adin and the Swedes, when they get a lead, they usually step on your throat, and they're really tough to beat. But they gave the lead back up when they gave up a steal of two in the six, and that gave Korea, who was down four to two, uh, getting ready to go into the break. They get two, but then they get the steal of two and six. They were all of a sudden up six four, really put the pressure on Nicholas and those guys but ended up winning it in, the, in an extra end, setting up that epic final between Sweden and Canada. And boy, Joe, the atmosphere inside Orleans Arena for that one, at least before it got started, it was fantastic. 
Yeah, you know, you talked about all the pressure that was on Brad Gushu and, and you know, with with uh, Adin. This was a story about redemption. I mean, you know, he, he came oh so close to winning that Olympic gold. And this is, a you know, his first opportunity to go for a world championship after that. And, uh, boy, they came through, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. It was a, um, boy, I, I don't know what else to say except in that final against Canada, which Sweden won 7-3. to three. You know, you start with Hammer. It just shows just how, at that level, having how big having Hammer in a game of that magnitude against teams that are that good is. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Adin, it's just those guys are just notorious for, I mean, and all week, I mean, have, you know, having Hammer most of the week, just jumping on teams with deuces in the first, second end and, you know, stepping on people's throat. And they were patient. You know, it took some time to get going. They were real patient in the first and second end, um, you know, blanking those ends before they get the deuce in, in three, but King Nicholas, he was magic. The shot he hit on his final rock in, th- in three, no, in four, to remove two Canadian stones. They they were, Canada was lying to, Adin throws one, and it, he removed them both. Uh, Sweden lying two forcing Gushu to have to make just a draw to the forefoot. He was well short. Sweden steals two. That all, in effect, Joe ended it right there, up four to nothing, and then Sweden goes on to get another steal in five. That was five nothing. It was it was an afterthought. It was a formality at that point. But Nicholas Adin, uh, Oscar Eriksson, uh, Rasmus Rana, Christopher Sundgren, those guys, they could – there is nobody in the world. I don't care who it was. If they had gone on the ice with Sweden in that Olymp- in that final of the World Championship Sunday night, they would have lost. I don't care who it was. They were that good. Joe, let's hear from uh, Nicholas Adin, the skip right here, just what it meant to bring home a World Championship to Sweden after a gutting, excruciating loss to the Americans in the Olympic final. All right, Nicholas, a lights-out win tonight. You guys get two in the second. Uh, what was really the Gushu's uh, draw for one. It was light in the, thir- in the third. That was really the difference, putting you guys up four to nothing. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a close game until uh, until that draw. And we talked about the ice maybe getting a little bit slower. So it, it wasn't an easy draw. Like uh, It wasn't as easy as it looked. And I think... Uh, uh, we were fortunate that he, when he missed that draw, we got a really big momentum swing to our side. And uh, um, if they got two back there, that they were looking to get two uh, for most of that end. And if they do that, it's it's going to be a battle until the end. But with that stolen two, it's we feel we're in total control, especially the way we played all game and all week. You guys came here to Las Vegas, obviously, on a mission after what happened in Pyeongchang. And there was no doubt you guys came here only to win. That was the goal. That was what you guys started with, and that's what you ended with. Just kind of talk about the process you guys have gone through since uh, since Pyeongchang. Oh, it's been a mental struggle for sure, especially for uh, for me and Oscar that uh, was there uh, like uh, four years ago and, and eight years ago, and uh, we've we had a couple of chances. We know how tough it is to get back in top shape, uh, uh, free of injuries and uh, illness and stuff like that, and we've been working hard for four years. It's a lot that has to come together, and then uh, not winning that final after playing uh, pl- probably the curling of our lives in the uh, round robin and uh, the semifinal was one of the best games I've uh, I've seen. We just didn't miss anything, and then 
losing that one, it was just uh, it's been a struggle. So the first two weeks, I to be honest, I I don't think I talked to <laughs> too many people. I didn't do too much, no training whatsoever for any of us four guys. We just tried to stay away, uh, not think too hard on that loss, and not think about curling. That's for sure. And then. Uh, went back back to the slam, uh, didn't play good at all there, and uh, then went back to to play nationals, and we kind of felt it coming back. We, then we all started working together, and when we uh, took off for Vegas, we felt that we we have to win this one. I, I especially felt that I I have to win this one. I was just never going to let this one go. What does this do for you guys moving forward the next four-year cycle, especially coming out of the Olympics, but bringing home a world championship that hadn't come home to Sweden in a couple of years? This is a big win for us. I'm not, not going to lie. It's uh, especially losing that Olympic final. We uh, we've got a lot of support, and we, uh, we we feel ourselves too that we got so much more to give for this uh, sport, both to ourselves and our fans and everything. So, uh, winning this is just huge for for our mental, um, like the, the way we look at the game and the way we want to uh, continue our uh, our run towards the next Olympics and hopefully many more after that. So. Huge win, and I'm so proud of the guys, and we've worked so hard for this. I, um, I know our closest ones know uh, how much this uh, means to us, but uh, it's, it's hard for people outside to, to realize how much work is put into this win and to come out here and just perform uh, the whole week. It's just uh, unreal. I'm, I'm, I get, I'm, I'm getting tears in my eyes just thinking about this travel that we've gone through or the, the journey that we've been through. All right, and that was Nicholas Adin right there. And, Joe, go ahead and bring you Oscar Erickson because, uh, you know, Oscar talked about it. He had been with Nicholas a few other times, and now those guys have won three world championships together for Sweden. You know, I talked to them in full disclosure, you know, doing some work for them uh, out there in Las Vegas. You know, those guys were on a mission, and I talked to him, walked over to the arena on Sunday uh, afternoon for the final, and, you know, and talking with Rasmus, he said that, I feel good. We're going to go take this thing. They were confident. They were dialed in. You saw the product of what they did in, in, the, in the final against Canada. Here is Oscar Erickson, their vice skip, on just the honor it was to play for a world championship and to bring one home to Sweden. The redemption you guys came here seeking after the Olympics. It was a lot of heartbreak after that, but you came here. You got what you wanted when you came to Las Vegas. Yeah, uh, after the loss in the Olympic final, we asked, this was our opportunity to get a piece of the cake back and uh, to be able to do it so good over the whole week and uh, to beat Canada in the final, that's, uh, that's an honor. Yeah. Hey, you guys just played so well. Talk about the, the steal in, in three. You get the deuce in what, two, but really there was that steal. Gushu's draw for one was light. That was really almost lights, camera, action, game over. Yeah, when we get the four nothing lead, we usually don't lose games, so uh, we're a good defensive team. But that's a mistake we usually don't see from him. Uh, we got lucky with Nicholas last. We were not sure if we could lie two, or we would be happy to just give up two there. They were sitting good, but we got lucky, squeezed it out, and uh, fortunately for us, uh, he missed the draw. How how hard in the weeks after the Olympics, but leading up to this. How, how difficult was that for you guys to to reset and say, look, we still have a world championship ahead of us? Yeah, of course, the first first week was really tough. You like, you know it's going to be four more years before you have that same opportunity. And uh, we just took uh, seven, ten days off and uh, just relaxed, saw family and didn't think about curling. And then uh, we went to, to Grand Slam and started to build up for this event. And... Now it feels really good to be a world champion again. 
walking over with Rasmus this morning, he said he felt good. He felt like you guys were going to do it. What did you guys talk about today in your last team meeting before you came out on the ice? Just come out and uh, be relaxed, confident, believe in ourselves. We know we have a really high standard when we're on our on our A game, so we just knew if we can manage to make every shot that we want to, we're going to win the game. We have the hammer in the start, so just execute and we're going to win. What is it going to feel like to bring a world championship trophy back home to Sweden? I know where you guys say it definitely belongs. Yeah, it's uh, it's an honor to first of all represent Sweden and uh, to be able to be a world champion it's uh, it's just a ma- an amazing feeling and uh, third time for me and Nicholas and uh, Frederick so it's uh, I think we're tied in Sweden right now for world champions congratulations thank you all right Joe well that'll put a cap on the world championship uh, and everything that uh, weeks I experienced and uh, just appreciate to get to some thank yous at the very end because I know we got a little bit long in this opening segment. We got a lot of interviews to to bring you, but anything that we missed there, anything you want to know? Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> uh, you, you really described the atmosphere pretty well. I'm I'm excited uh, for the uh, future of uh, USA curling in 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 Las Vegas. Uh, I know that the Continental Cup will be there again in 2019, uh, which is a pretty cool announcement that they made uh, late in the week yeah yeah the continental cup will be coming back there early next year you mentioned attendance seventy four thousand eight hundred and twenty nine fans took in the world championship in las vegas a united states record for a curling event here just uh just outstanding all right let's go ahead and let's turn the page because coming up in the next segment we got the q a and from the pool patch Stu brown and i joined Stu on stage for that with uh the gold medalist, Team Schuster, everybody, including their wives, uh, flanked them up there. It was fun. We'll bring you that Q&A from the pool patch here next. After that, we will bring you Patrick McDonald, uh, two-time Paralympian for Team USA, uh, going to be getting back on the ice soon. He was there with the Wounded Warrior Project, speaking to uh, some special guests from the Wounded Warrior Project, along with David Markowski, who was also there, um, is a special guest. David is from the Wine Country Curling Club, uh, former president of the Wine Country Curling Club, and does coaching, does a lot of everything uh, out there in California. So Patrick McDonald and David Markowski will be coming up after the Schuster Q&A, and then you and I will be back to close it up right here on the Extra Extra and Podcast with the 12th in Sports Network powered by Isagenics. Coming up, Team Schuster from the Pool Patch this past weekend. We got them to all wear it, guys. I have to admit, the jewelry looks good. Look at this. This is absolutely stoking. This is awesome to be able to do it. Let's actually do, go uh, down on this one. It's, uh, this is so interesting to watch you guys uh, out here. And, uh, let's go back to the Olympics. Uh, you started things off a little bit maybe on the slower side than you wanted to, uh, getting into it, but then all of a sudden you went on a roll. You're meeting, you know, first of all, you beat Canada, okay? Twice. 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 Go ahead, say twice. <laughs> twice. Twice. And twice. Two times. Two times. And then you go on in against a guy by the name of Nicholas Edine. You're going in for the gold medal. Nobody ever would have expected you to get a five-ender. And holy crap, it opened up for you, Mr. Schuster. And you felt good about that. And all of a sudden you rolled out and... At that particular point in time during the game, what did you? What was your feeling that particular? Did you think 
man, this is coming true. Uh, yeah, it's it, when that when those two rocks went flying out of the back of the house. Looked around, was like, we just won an Olympic gold medal. Not just a Olympic gold medal, brother. The gold medal. That's what you want, and that's and that's the whole thing. Because when we take a look at this, and I got to go back in time a little bit, and we go back and uh, we go back to what was your first Olympics you went to? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. How'd you do in two thousand six? Bronze medal. Okay, there you go. Bronze medal. Then go yeah. to the next one. Yeah, you forgot about that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did forget about that. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah bronze yeah. medal. It's not bad. That's two-time Olympic medalist for <laughs> the and the uh, bookends over here. The bookends are doing okay. The, Good man, you got to be happy about it. But then all of a sudden, what was your next? What was your next? Twenty ten. Twenty ten. What was your record in twenty ten? Uh, two and seven. Two. And, yeah, it wasn't looking too good. But then you came in a little bit of an issue with the uh, high performance program, did you not? Uh, I wouldn't say an issue. They just uh, they they went a different direction for a year. And then, so you decided to do something about that, did you not? Well, I just decided if they were going to work hard, we better work harder. I mean, I better work harder and find some guys who are willing to work. Just and, as hard with me. And did you call yourselves the reject drink at that point? Somebody called us the rejects. I don't think it was necessarily us. But you know what? Did that not give you a little bit of fire and make you start working on it? You know what? I don't think that was the part that gave us necessarily fire. I think it was the part that uh, allowed us to be a team that got cheered for for a little while by the uh, United States people. So, how, okay, so when you, at that particular time, you started forming your team, right? Because you, you and Joe have been kicking around for a while, right? Uh, nope. Okay, who you been you, the longest on the team? I mean, I, I tried to tell Polo. I was like, well, you got picked for the high performance team. Why don't you come play with me? He was like, well, I think I'm going to play high performance. <laughs> okay, so what was the thought at that particular time? Well, I thought uh, I had a team that was getting sponsored with a lot of money already. So why, uh, why go with him? Yeah, speak up, Joe. <laughs> yeah, you got to be more lively. Even, even though, you, mumble, even though you're come the on. fifth player, you got to be a little louder. Well, I guess uh, we already had some funding through the USOC. And uh, I thought funding sounded pretty good instead of trying to do it on our own. So you decided to get the team together, started firing all cylinders, and all of a sudden you're, uh, you're going in there, you're representing the United States at the Olympics. You get there. You know, it's just, it's just to me it's a fantasy. What's it feeling like for you guys right now? I mean, seriously, are you, are you coming off the, the platform yet? Because, damn, this is absolutely amazing stuff to be able to have a gold medal around your neck. This is stuff that you dream about as a kid. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. I think these guys will attest. It's, I mean, everything we, when, when you win the curling game, you think about yourself and your families and all the curlers in our country and the things that we've all done together to win a gold medal. You don't, I don't think foresee what is ahead for the re- the way the rest of the country feels and the things they want to invite you to do. Bryce, you want to jump on in here for this one? Because uh, I got to admit. Yeah, I want to know, have you guys had even time to go back and watch the pregame and the gold medal game? I heard Pete Fenson pick Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <they're>, sorry, Pete. <laughs> it, well, Hamilton, come on! You've gone back, and you, I know you've wanted to no. go back and see yourself celebrate. I've I've been too busy going around trying to do stuff to go back and watch the game. Okay. All right. Here's the by the way, thing. I saw your stuff. I saw your pitch at the at the uh, game the other night. That was great pitching by you guys. Great throws of the first. Uh, Thank you. I rolled mine out. I curled it in. You did. You did well. I saw the rollout. It was beautiful. It's the only thing I know how to do, so it uh, seemed to work in my favor. <laughs> 
We're moving on to the next questions. Oh come on! It was. It's actually. It's on. It's, it's on everybody's site out there. It's like one of the best ones going. Minnesota Wild or the Twins game first pitch. What was a bigger thrill? Oh, that's tough. Uh, you know, I, I I'd normally say the Twins, but it's something about that enclosed space, like all the noise that we had from the Wild Arena. Uh, and and they chanted USA at us too. We did not get that at the Twins game, but having twenty thousand people, you know, of your countrymen, your your statesmen, chanting USA at you where you grew up. That's I mean that's something else. It was incredible. No kidding. So let's go back. Let's talk about the Olympics going into it all. Uh, you know, you go in there for the. You guys are all there for the opening ceremonies and all that sort of wonderful stuff. Some teams didn't make it to the opening ceremonies. Uh, some did. Uh, tell me about what that experience was like for you guys to get out there again. Who wants to take that one? Well, I was not supposed to, but I begged my way into the opening ceremonies to do just the loop. <laughs> and that was, uh, as a first-timer, it's a pretty incredible experience where you're walking out with everybody from Team USA. You, find, you feel like you're a part of something way bigger than yourself. You're a part of, like, this giant team of athletes that are all, like, trying to beat the other countries and win medals and it's uh it's really cool to like go out onto the track and see team usa and lights and hearing usa chants and everyone around you is just giddy with excitement it was a lot of fun well it's kind of interesting because when you i've talked to a lot of guys that do the olympics you go into a big big hall you sit there for a couple hours you know you kind of get yourself all together then you have a chance to get into the opening ceremonial area and then just walking in and just seeing it, because I understand the, the, the stadium was really lit up well. The, the seats are all lit up. It's kind of neat. Was it a little bit overwhelming at that point for you guys? What was it like? I don't think so. We, uh, you know, you, you walked around the circle and you got into your, your seat, and, and uh, the lights you saw were actually these stands that were like a four-by-four four light in front of you, and, and uh, you just kind of soaked it in, and, and you saw people like, Sean White was a couple of rows behind us, I think, and I know Tyler got a picture with him, and Lindsey Vaughn was, you know, with there, and uh, you say these names, maybe maybe our names are going to be the next one, but we'll see. Well, that's the whole thing when you go into because the uh, the USA house, I guess you guys had, because every country has a house. I mean, it's an opportunity to actually get out there with a lot of athletes that you maybe you may have met, maybe not have met. You had a chance to. Was that exciting for you guys to sit back and go in there and have a couple of beers and kick back with some of the any athletes that popped out in your mind that hey I've always watched this person now I have a chance to talk to them. Anybody had one of those moments? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course. I mean, of course. I mean, we're at the opening ceremonies and uh, and one of the most infamous U.S. athletes, Lindsey Jacob Ellis, was uh, sitting amongst our team. I mean, at the closing ceremonies, they. NBC wanted to interview two groups of people, and it was our team, and uh, I don't know, what, what was that her name? Lind, Lindsay Va- Vaughn. Vaughn, that's the one, Lindsay Vaughn. I never, but nobody's ever heard yeah, of Yeah, no one's ever heard of her, but no, seriously, like, we, uh, we got to ride in a car with her to the closing ceremonies and, and learn a little bit about her, and I mean, I, I think a few of us even maybe have her number in our telephones and text back and forth with her once in a while. Yeah, watch out who's behind you. Yeah, and here's okay. <laughs> here's how much of a baller Lindsey Vaughn is, too. We were going into the closing ceremonies, and she had a magnum of champagne with her own name printed on it. 
Wow. What did you guys have? And, a bag of Cheetos? Secur- security security <laughs> stopped her. We had four beers. They, they wouldn't let her bring it in either. She had to leave that at the door. And yeah, Matt had his Cheetos, and we had, uh, what, Miller Lite beer? Something yeah. like that, I think. Not but even. Uh, <laughs> Not even that. That's a, go ahead. Price, you got a question over yeah, there. Who is, somebody got up close with Lindsey Jacob Ellis, the snowboarder, gave up their seat at opening ceremony. Tell the story, Ty. Oh, no, I didn't give up seat. I, uh, I got moved out of my seat. You got uh, moved? That's, like, that's, 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 different. that's, they that's brought, like playing with United. Okay. They brought the president of the IOC down our aisle, so they had to take my seat for security purposes, and they kicked me out of my aisle seat. Said, so you have to get up. So I have nowhere to go, and I hear this voice behind me that says, oh, I have a seat next to me here, and it's Lindsey Jacob Ellis smiling so nicely at me. And uh, I decided to sit next to her, and then when my seat was available five minutes later, I said, no, I think I'm good here. I'm going to stay. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, he kind of left me all by myself over there. You went away for a moment there when you were telling that story, man. You had, like, rolled back a little bit, enjoyed it. Memories. (laughs) It's always good to have, man. Stu, I just want to make sure he got digits out of it. Well, not telling. No, there you go. Good call. Good call. Okay, so let's go. Now, coming back home, coming back home, the flight coming in, coming into the airport, what was it like when you finally touched back on American soil? What was that feeling like for you guys? Who wants to take that one? Yeah, man. Go ahead. No, you. All right, well, we we, uh, landed in uh, D.C. on the way home, or no? No. Detroit. 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 We landed in Detroit. And uh, tell you what, as soon as we got out of the out of the jetway there was a rows and rows of people and it was for a couple hundred feet just people lined up cheering us on and getting pictures and autographs and and uh we took about as long as we felt like we needed to and had to leave everybody else behind and hopped on one of those carts because otherwise we were never getting to our next gate and, yeah, no yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun yeah, uh, actually, I just wanted to go back to Team USA House, where after we won, we were cycled around to do some media stuff, but we eventually made it back to Team USA House, where they presented us with some new watches uh, as congratulations for what we did, as you can see right here. Omega. Omega watches are very nice, but we, we only got five of them, and we didn't feel that was very fair, given we had a coach that did everything for us and really had our backs. So uh, I wanted to present this to my this to our coach. Nice. Let him check it out. Get up here. Beautiful. That's what a team is all about. This is from all of us. Uh, I was contacted by this company, uh, and they were super excited about what we did and what we were doing, and they wanted to help us create a watch for you. So they gave us four bands. Here's a red, white, and blue one. Fans. There's another two bands in here, brown and brown. But right here, they gave us... This is their first ever custom-made watch. They've never tried to do a custom, like, prints or anything on it before. But right there on the top of the 12, it's a curling rock. It says gold 2018, right under the brand. And this on watch the back, is not cheap, people, we, either, uh, by the way. got the date inscribed. There you go. That's hey, a- wait, wait, wait. So, so one, one thing that our coach never let us... The one thing he told us... Toward the end of the Olympics, he said, gentlemen, February 24th, 2018. It's a date that's going to live with us forever. And it will. And, uh, and on the back of that watch, coach, 
2018. Very nice. Give him a big hand, folks. Yeah, you're paying it back to the coach, which is always a bonus to be able to do that. Absolutely amazing, guys, to be to see the camaraderie in that respect, you know, and it's 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 great that you're yeah, don't drop it. Whatever you do, there's a fountain right here. It's, it's probably waterproof and shockproof, I imagine, but there you go. Do, do you want do you want to say anything to your team? You know, these guys are just uh resentless i mean they've been through everything and uh to be able to to watch since we've won the places i've been with these guys and the, the, the they've been recognized every place they go i mean to me that's what it's all about i've i said that uh to the final before the final game i i think i said to joe i said there's no way we lose this game and uh you know i just felt like it was our time and these guys took advantage of the moment and um as a coach that's the pinnacle to be able to watch athletes achieve their dream. So for me, that's why I was emotional when it happened, and I couldn't be more proud of these guys, and uh, I love you guys. Thank you very much. Love you too, Coach. Go ahead, Price. Oh, beer down. We got a beer down. Boo. Now, you guys have heard from a lot of different people, celebrities, politicians. Who's maybe the most unexpected (laughs) voice you've gotten a call from or heard from? Through this whole entire experience, uh, I think I th- actually think it was Kirstie Alley. <laughs> I I, th- I think I think she was like, yeah, no offense, but curling's boring. And uh, and somebody from uh, Team Schuster responded, no offense, but uh, some of your theater hasn't exactly been riveting theater itself. Oh. And actually, Stu, truthfully, this is our. Uh, Team Schuster is uh, is a conglomerate, and you're seeing the ladies behind us. Yeah, which yeah. I hope you talk to them here because they got some good insight. Yeah, you can't keep the however, ladies waiting. However, some of our success, uh, all, all of it we attribute to the people around us, and one of the things that really allowed us to do what we needed to do and uh, be who we needed to be was this guy to our left right here. So if you, if you saw Team Schuster stuff on social media during the Olympics, Price Atkinson was the man behind it. He was the man who started the feud with Kirstie Alley. (laughs) That helped put curling on the map early in the Olympics. And honestly, like, we got to enjoy the hell out of this social media aspect of the Olympics and really focus on what we did because a lot of what this guy, this gentleman to the left of us volunteered to do. He was not paid to do it. He volunteered to be a part of our team, an integral part of our team. And, uh, hey, how about we give Price a little bit of, uh, like, give him a round of applause for, uh... Show him some love. Yeah, we now have 25,000 followers on Twitter, and this guy did it all. All right, now let's bring out a special guest. Mr. T has got to be somewhere now. He's got to be somewhere here now, right? Where are you hiding Mr. T? He's not here. Come on, where is he? I did that, I'd pee myself. Yeah, right. Is that just a rumor you guys started? Or was it Stu? I didn't start it. You Don't did. look at me. Somebody started it, and I no, think it I was did. you, not. <laughs> You have me looking back here, really? Yeah. Don't do that. I don't think so. Well, you know what, guys? I, I'm taking a look at the uh, lineup right now. Is getting set. And uh, Price, do you have anything else you want to talk to these guys about? Because I like to get them right down there with their people and get some autograph signed. So, what else you got you on the docket? Give the people what they want. Let's let them go, Stu. Let them go. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please make some noise out there for your Olympic gold medal winners? 
They're going over to Cabana number gold one. Gold medal winners, ladies. Gold medal winners. Gold medal, gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. What are you trying to go? Brown They're drinking points? every time you say gold medal. <laughs> gold medal. There you go. Continuing on episode 44 of the Extra Extra End podcast. I had a chance over the weekend in Las Vegas to go up and meet several folks that were uh, attending the World Men's Curling Championship from the Wounded Warrior Project. And a couple of the people I talked to up there uh, were a couple special people that we're going to bring you interviews with now. Uh, One being Patrick McDonald, who is a member of the Team USA Paralympic Curling Team in 2010-2014, and David Markowski from the Wine Country Curling Club. Patrick was meeting uh, with other uh, veterans that were there as part of the Wounded Warrior Project, as well as David Markowski, who is with the Wine Country Curling Club, former president of that local club out there in California. So here we go, Patrick McDonald and David Markowski. All right, here with two-time Paralympian Patrick McDonald. We are here at the World Men's Curling Championships in Las Vegas, but I get to meet Patrick for the first time here. And, Patrick, you got uh, some a few special guests, but before we get to your special guest, how's everything going with you these days? Uh, everything's going really good. Um, I, I miss uh, curling at a competitive level. Um, I've missed the 2018 Paralympics. Uh, I had to fight off some cancer. That turned out uh, amazing um, because I am cancer free. Um, but you know, cancer was something I had to deal with. Uh, so now that I'm healthy, um, I'm doing a lot of promotions for the uh, sport of curling and uh, being here at the Men's World Championships in Vegas with some wounded warriors. Um, I'm a vet myself. Um, it's great to see them come out and experience it. Um, just just having a good time, you know, promoting the sport. Um, and, and I'm going to get back into competitive curling in this upcoming season. Awesome. Well, number one, it's great that you're cancer free to hear that wonderful news and and obviously as a veteran thank you for your service and you know you mentioned here in las vegas you've got some special guests the wounded warrior project just kind of talk about having them here in the house and, and teaching them a little about a, a game an icy game that we really love um, I enjoy it. Uh, when I was in the service, 20, I've been in the chair for 27 years now. Um, and organizations like the Wounded Warrior Foundation and stuff wasn't really around when I first, you know, got retired. Uh, but now, um, with all these soldiers coming back, um, with, uh, I don't even know what to, to call it. I mean, you come back with an injury um, or, uh, just just coming back, um, sports and uh, education and foundations like this, um, it allows the, the soldiers to get back into what most people call normal life. Um, you know, I mean, when you come back from service with a with an injury, um, it's it's kind of hard to to you know get told by you know the the medical staff that's helping you to all right, you're better now. Let's go back into you know mainstream life, and it's like, well, I, I I don't know anything other than military, and now you want me to go get a job, you know. So the a good outlet and transition is um, obviously your friends and family, um, but organizations like Wounded Warrior. Um, 
the DAV, the PVA, Operation Rebound. I mean, all those. Um, they use sports as an outlet to to get uh, service members um, comfortable um, getting back into things, um, dealing with their injuries and stuff. Um, and then, you know, they just, and then they reach out and then they reach out and it just keeps growing. Um, I've only been here for 10 minutes and I can already tell these guys are awesome. I just met them. They're, you can see that their families are supportive um, and you get to watch a great sport of curling and um, they're intrigued, I think. Yeah, well, that's great. And when the Warrior Project, uh, everybody does not know, based out of Jacksonville, Florida, if I've got my uh, details correct, because I've done some work with them in the past, and just a fantastic organization that's all across the country helping veterans. I know a couple guys who were Paralympians this past, uh, you know, Steve Empt and uh, Kurt Black, and I'm sure it was it was pretty cool. Uh, wishing you were out there curling with them, but at the same time, you know, watch a couple fellow veterans represent our country, you know, in a little bit of a different manner. They've worn the uh, American flag on their sleeve in, in combat, and then now getting to do it, you know, out on the ice. Just what kind of an honor was that for you two times in 2010, 2014, Patrick? Uh, it, it was. It, it was amazing. Um, back in 2010, I believe there was only four veterans in Vancouver. Um, Sochi, I believe there was 17. Um, and then this past year in Korea, I believe there was 27-ish, 30-ish. Um, but getting a chance to see um, fellow vets go out and do stuff like that is amazing. Um, and then being, you know, um, side by side with uh, Steve Ampt and Kirk Black um, it, it was it was an honor to, to help them because I was skip of the team when they first started and watching them grow to what they've become as athletes and how they represent USA is awesome um, and just yeah I mean to, to see everything going on um, it, it, it is. It's amazing. And going back to when I was doing it, when there was only a couple of us, you know, knowing that you served your country um, in the military and then being able to wear the flag again um, to represent again um, after an injury um, is, it, it means a lot. Because, you know, soldiers don't get watched unless something is on the news. In sports, athletes get watched all the time. And when they're mentioned um, that they were veterans and stuff like that, um, it, 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 it's, a, it's an honor to, to see that you know, anybody to represent our country is, uh, you know, they work hard. They do it for everything. But, yeah, the veterans, it's a tight-knit group, and, and we uh, we talk all the time. Yeah, well, it's an honor to get to see you and just have a few minutes with you. But as you mentioned, getting back, uh, going to go for another four-year cycle, hopefully, and uh, let me see what happens. Yes, I'm definitely coming back. Uh, I'm healthy. Just got my uh, last scan for cancer uh, last week. Cancer-free, no signs of it. Um, I've already started. Uh, even though the curling season is winding down, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at the Coyote Curling Club. Uh, so when next year's or next season's trials uh, come up, um, I'll probably already have 100 hours under my belt and uh, 
yeah, it, it's time to, you know, I miss it. And uh, I didn't think I, you know, I th- the main thing was to beat cancer. Um, but then once I, I knew that I did, um, yeah, the, 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 the competitive itch came back, you know. Uh, and, it, and now I'm just, I'm kind of, I can't wait. Um, so uh, I think um, with what the team did this past year um, was good. Three of them were new, you know, first time. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of learning and, you know, a lot of experience that needs to happen. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, me, uh, hopefully coming back to the team, you know, I got to try out again. Um, if I make it, uh, you know, I, th- I think I'll be in addition to uh, giving them more experience and uh, kind of, you know, rounding out the team and uh, making it stronger for next Worlds. Well, it's great that from all of us, 100%, we are behind you. Just so glad you're cancer-free. I've heard a little bit of news about that, and I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm glad you brought it up and you delivered the fantastic news that the scans are clear. Thank you for your service to our country, and really thank you so much for your contributions to you know, the Paralympics, our nation, and, and just the sport of curling in general. It's, all, it's an honor to get a few minutes with you, Patrick. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, anytime around, let me know, and uh, I'll be more than glad to uh, you know keep talking. Here with David Markowski from the Wine Country Curling Club, a uh, a fan of the Twelfth Inch Sports Network. I just find find out, David, and as uh, you're from uh, out in California here in Las Vegas, but let's talk about uh, your your what you're here for. You're a 22 year veteran uh, Air Force career Air Force. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and I volunteered for the last two Continental Cups as a volunteer, and now the World Men's uh, volunteering also, and now with the Wounded Warrior Project. Just kind of fits in. Yeah, and uh, Wounded Warrior Project here with us in Las Vegas, and you know, just tell everybody a little bit about the work, the importance of what the Wounded Warrior Project does in states across the country, but it's based out of Jacksonville, Florida. Yes, uh, I'm not currently a member of the Wounded yeah. Warrior Project, but uh, their involvement helps veterans and their families uh, through all kinds of service uh, projects and and, uh, and grants and yeah. things like that, helping out. So. Uh, you know, it's a much-needed niche in that community. Yeah, and ex- exposing, you know, veterans and members of the Wounded Warrior Project to the sport of curling. You know, what has that been like here today? It's been fantastic. Uh, a couple of the guys uh, and gals have already done and learned to curl, so they're yeah. pretty fired up about it. And uh, the other said they're going to do it. But, uh, yeah, it's something that, it's you know, it's a sport that anybody can do, right, yeah. with a uh, parallel and with the able-bodied, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's all around a, a good thing. And somebody like Patrick McDonald, a shining example of you know there are no limitations. Do not let anything hold you back. And that's actually, I mean, he spoke to the group here today, uh, the World Men's Curling Championships, and that's just he's just a shining example, a beacon for for veterans who have come home with injuries. He is, you know, Pat's been uh, he's been in the fight, um, you know, so he's he's seen that. Um, I've known Pat. He rolled into Wine Country Curling Club one night when we were curling league, and he was like, I want to learn how to curl. And yep. I was like, yeah, okay, come on up. And uh, so got to know him, and he took off with it. And, uh, you know, he's he's run the pinnacle of it already. So, he, yeah, he's a 
as we would say in the military, he's a fast burner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned Wine Country Curling Club, where where you curl out of. Uh, what past president? Your member um, got a lot of involvement coaching what some teams, and we got to meet a couple of the ladies from uh, your club at nationals in Everett last year. Really enjoyed getting to know them, and an incredible experience I know they got on championship ice. Absolutely, yeah. Porsche and Aurea, they came out uh, to Wine Country. That's where they started too. So I guess we're like the Johnny Appleseed, you know, like Jerome Larson's the Johnny Appleseed of curling. We can say Wine Country is maybe the Johnny Appleseed of, of pushing people up to the nationals and Olympics. Yeah, but yeah. No, they've been uh, doing great and, and uh, doing a lot of practice, and they're with uh, yeah Wine Country Women uh, Arena National Team coming up here in the first week of May in Salt Lake City. So hope they do well. And just for our listeners, tell everybody a little bit about Wine Country Curling Club. You hear the name, and I think probably everybody that curls says, I want to be a mem- member of Wine Country Curling Club. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it fit in great with our, our location, you know, so we kind of play off that. And, uh, you know, our events are, we have two bond spiels a year, the Barrel in late March and the Crush on Labor Day weekend. Um, and we tote that we have the best arena ice in, in the arena. No world. <laughs> in California, we take what you can get, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, David, thanks for a few minutes here, and thank you for your service. It's a pleasure to meet you, and, and thank you so much for listening and, and just what you give back to this sport. It's just outstanding. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Really excited to bring you those two interviews, especially with the involvement and with what uh, those two are doing uh, as a part of the Wounded Warrior Project, getting involved uh, in their local communities and certainly in Las Vegas last weekend. So really appreciate Patrick McDonald, who was a skip on the 2014 uh, U.S. Paralympic curling team, also was on the 2010 team. And then again, David Markowski, past president of the Wine Country Curling Club, uh, and also involved uh, doing some coaching, curling, and all kinds of things around his club there in California. So really appreciate the time we got to spend with him. All right, when we come back, we will put a bow on this thing and close up episode 44 as Joe Calabrese rejoins me to wrap up this podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Final segment here on episode 44 of the Extra Extreme podcast. Price Atkinson, Joe Calabrese is going to wrap this thing up. Just so much to get to. Appreciate all our guests, everybody uh, that we were able to catch up with there. In Las Vegas over the weekend, it was a who's who all around the patch, the arena, the casino, the hotel. It's just uh, just awesome. But we got a lot coming up uh, here this weekend. Joe, is, uh, I guess we'll start on the, uh, the international side with a lot of the teams, uh, certainly all the um, every playoff team or team that everyone that made the Final Four, I should say, uh, at the World Championship. Uh, all four of those teams are going to be back in action. We've got the Players' Championship, Grand Slam, the next-to-last Grand Slam. It's this weekend up in Toronto at the uh, Mattamy Athletic Center in downtown Toronto. And included in that mix, Nina Roth, Jamie Sinclair, as well as Team Schuster. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is sort of like the silly season of uh, curling where there's some pretty uh, big events, but there are teams that, uh, particularly in an Olympic year, um, that won't be playing with teammates that they're going to be playing, or they're playing with teammates now that they won't be playing with next season. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, a guy like uh, Mike McEwen, for example, playing with his current team, going to be uh, leaving that team, uh, playing a new team, a new team next year. Um, you know, 
and it's it's a great opportunity for Schuster to kind of get back onto the uh, horse here and, and play some teams uh, with, that really prepared him for gold. Um, the last five years on the men's side for uh, the Players' Championship, really, the champions really read as a who's who of the best in the world. You got uh, Dean won in 2017, Gushu in 16, Brad Jacobs in 15, Kevin Martin in 14, and Glenn Howard in 13. I mean, it, those are probably the number one teams in the world each of those particular years. So um, it's a great event. It really kind of showcases the best in the world. Yeah. And uh, over on, on – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it is the best. I mean, it, 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 some people may contend it's not the slam of all of them, but it's hard to argue that it's not because – the 12 teams that are there, they are the top 12 teams ranked on tour. The top 12 on the women's side, the top 12 on the men's side. It's inarguable that there's a, you know, well, this team found their way in because of this. There is none of that. It's, you have to finish, you had to be currently in the top 12 on tour to be eligible to play in the Players' Championship. Yeah, and then if you go and look on the women's side, I mean, you, you, you look at the last five champions and it's, it's two teams. It's Eve Muirhead and Jennifer Jones. I mean, um, Rachel Holman um, ha- has yet to win this event. Um, and so um, she'll be there uh, and she plays Nina Roth right off the bat. So um, there should be some good fireworks there as uh, Holman looks to win her first players. Yeah, this is going to be the first time Holman's been back on the ice since the Olympics. She'll be in Pool A. Uh, Nina Roth and Jamie Sinclair, as we mentioned, both going to be playing in the event. Team Sinclair barely sneaking in, uh, but they get in. They will be in Pool B, but in Pool A, Rachel Holman, that's where she will be playing. Jennifer Jones also is in that pool, along with Eve Muirhead and Nina Roth. They are all in Pool A. Down in Pool B. Boy, is that a pool of death right there? <laughs> oh, it's it, it, and throw in the Garlic Girls as well, who uh, were in the Olympic final. I mean, that's just a ridiculous. I mean, that's just sick. Down in Pool B, you got uh, Chelsea Carey, uh, Fujisawa, Hasselberg, uh, just to name a few, along with Jamie Sinclair and Tiranzoni uh, and Anderson. I mean, it's just there are this. The top 12 teams in the world. I mean, there's just nothing else you can say. You mentioned the men's side, too. Schuster, our our lone American team, they were in Pool B. They're up there with Kevin Cooey again, who they played in the Elite uh, in the elite 10. You got Gushu, Epping, Carruthers, and Botcher. That is all in Pool B with John Schuster. Boy, that's an exciting lineup, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be able to see some of that event up here in Rochester uh, as we are. uh, We have the Canadian satellite and uh, (laughs) worked it all out, but... It uh, should be a lot of fun. Yep, top eight teams make the playoff on the men's and women's side. Uh, you can check that out, the Grand Slam of curling.com. You can also buy, if you're not lucky to be in an area like uh, Joe where you can get some of the games, you can buy the uh, the pass to watch the games. First game or draw is Tuesday evening. That would be tonight as we're recording today on Tuesday, April the 10th. But really everything in earnest begins on Wednesday with four draws on, on Wednesday. Um, the TV coverage, I know, begins on Thursday. And again, you can uh, pick that up, purchase it just for the weekend, the Grand Slam of curling.com. And Joe, switching gears, uh, speaking of Rochester and, and, and being there in, uh, in New York, uh, you guys have got an event coming up this weekend. Yeah, we've been talking about this for the last few months. It's called Curling the Gathering. It's, uh, it's a bond spiel unlike any other. It's uh, curling with a twist. We've got all sorts of nicknames for it, but basically we've got 14 teams to uh, uh, about half of which are from out of town coming in to play this event where it's uh, curling, but then you get to bid on these power-up cards that'll either help you uh, win your game or hurt the other team's chances of winning. So 
Um, we're really excited about it. The uh, the event will all be online uh, starting on Friday night on TESN.us. And if you looked at the Western New York uh, channels, either Sheet B or Sheet C, you'll see some of the action. Um, and it'll wrap up on Sunday. Um, we're really excited to bring it to you. Um, and and you'll, you'll probably see some things you'll like, why is somebody doing this? And it's because uh, they were they were presented with a card where they have to play an intern or, or they have to bounce one off the wall. It's, it's going to be a, a fun event. Yeah, a lot other, uh, and we wish certainly wish you guys uh, all the luck. You put a ton of time into that. Uh, I, I just know that that's going to be awesome. You guys are going to have a, a lot of fun. I think it. I just think it's really unique how you guys have put it together, and you know the way to uh, to raise some money and, and but just to do it a little bit differently. I think I think that's awesome. And um, you know, you got some other things uh, certainly this spring and uh, this summer. I mean, we can't go through a calendar, but you know, the Lupus Spiel is coming up May fourth through six. Uh, Regan Bird just does. Uh, uh, an awesome job. Carrie Benton uh, helps her with that. Uh, that one's uh, a cause near and dear to my heart. Losing my mother to uh, lupus back in 02. That uh, you want to get involved, check them out. Uh, I know on their Facebook page and the Bla- Blazing Broom Summer Spiel. It's coming up June 15th through the 17th. Um, that one will be at the Four Seasons Curling Club. I believe that one's almost full already. But if you want to check that out, uh, you can. Also, a couple championships that we've got left to play this season over in Sweden, Joe, the World Mixed Doubles Championship and then the World Senior Championship. Uh, in the Mixed Doubles, Sarah Anderson, Corey Dropkin from Team USA going to be representing us over there in Sweden. Yeah, great opportunity for both those uh, both those players to uh, get on the ice uh, and, and represent the USA. Yep. Uh, certainly expect good things from them. Yep, and then the uh, final event here domestically, uh, national championship, is the 2018 Arena Nationals. That one going to take place May 1st through the 6th. That's in Salt Lake City, Utah. So almost there through the end of the season, and you and I will start uh, – Finishing this thing up as year one, at least for us here, comes to a close. We got a few more episodes to bring you through the month of April, and we'll figure out when we will um, uh, sign, seal, and deliver the final one. Uh, but just before we get out of here, Joe, I, I did want to throw out a couple thank yous, uh, especially uh, to the folks with the World Championship in the Las Vegas Organizing Committee, uh, John Killerin, uh, uh, Rod Paulson, and Stu Brown, who made it possible and allowed us to do the uh, the podcast uh, poolside from the pool patch on Thursday. That was really a neat opportunity. Uh, just awesome job that they did putting together the event uh, there in Las Vegas and, and also the to the World Curling Federation, Cam McAllister um, and his team, uh, Mike Haggerty, um, certainly Kate Caithness, uh, everybody with the World Curling Federation uh, that gave me the chance to go out there and, and no doubt about it, Terry Davis uh, and Rick Patsky, who, uh, you know, also I got to work with Terry through through the event and, you know, just uh, to, the chance to experience the World Championship for the first time was, was awesome. And I just cannot thank uh, everybody enough that just put on the event and that allowed me to be a part of it, Joe, and, and also to, to be able to bring you some of those sights, sounds, and, and everything else here uh, to the podcast. Well, I know we're really thankful that you were able to make it out there. I, I call you the hardest working man in uh, curling podcasting because you did about 17 different jobs while you're trying to do this. Uh, uh, thank you so much for all the coverage that you brought everybody. And, and uh, I, I know that the teams and their families and, and the fans are, are very appreciative. Well, definitely not the hardest working, but uh, definitely might be having the most fun. Just uh, you couldn't take the smile off my face out there, but it, it, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, thanks to everybody 
for uh, the great week. But uh, it would have been a lot more complete had you been able to uh, join me as a sidekick with Jerry Gertz and everybody else out there and to all the people and f- new friends I made. It was it was great to to meet them, uh, meet new people, come home with new relationships and friends. And, you know, also uh, one, one last shout-out to, the, to, the, to Dave Stavitag and, and the ice crew because those guys – uh, they had some challenges, clearly, uh, without the dehumidification. It's not the first time they may have had to face something like that. But, I mean, those guys, y- y- their championship uh, ice everywhere, it- it's some of the best in the world. And I talked to players from, from the different teams, not just uh, Richie and our guys, but I talked to, uh, you know, some of the Canadians, uh, you know, the Swedes. I, I mean, I talked to a lot of players from different teams, and they all rave about the quality of ice that Dave Stavitag and his ice crew uh, that they they produced. Jonathan Penn. He was on the ice crew, Dewey. I mean, all our traditional, a lot of our, you know, friends and uh, Sean Olson, who was not there. I know he went there to help set up, but I think he had to get home from work. But those guys on the ice crew that, that spearheaded everything, they just did an awesome, awesome job. And, and they're the ones that allow or, you know, basically, if it's not for them, we don't have championship and events like that to go to. So just a shout out to Dave and the U.S. ice crew, Joe. Yeah, you know, without uh, that ice crew, I, I certainly don't think that we're having the type of success internationally that we're having right now. I mean, they're, they're delivering championship level ice to all of our championship level events here in the U S and it prepares our athletes very well for world events. Yep. Uh, that it does. So with that being said, Joe, let's get out of here. Episode 44 in the books, a whole lot that we brought to you, uh, here in this episode. If you missed anything, uh, or miss this episode, clearly you go back and listen to previous episodes because we got a whole lot of content that we've done all season long, iTunes, Apple podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate us, give us a rating, hopefully five stars makes it a lot easier for other curling fans to find, uh, right there on the Apple podcast app on your smartphone uh, or check out iTunes Stitcher if you've got an Android that's another that's a great podcast app where you can listen to us there and Blog Talk Radio which now houses our podcast you can go to Blog Talk Radio listen to them right there on your desktop and certainly without a doubt tesn.us forward slash podcast all our episodes are right there online so Joe with that being said, let's go ahead and step out of here. It's great to have you back on. Great to catch up again. We will do it again here next week on the Extra Trend of the 12th and Sports Network powered by Isaacs. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Extra Extra In podcast with Price Atkinson. Follow Price and the 12th In Sports Network crew on Twitter and Facebook to stay up on our weekly contests, giveaways, and guests for upcoming episodes of the Extra Extra In podcast, powered by Isogenics. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of the lane is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action! Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Let's get it out of here! Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness! Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins tonight on TNT. Home is where you should feel the safest, but the air there can be more dangerous, up to five times more polluted than outside air. Let us help you take the steps towards making it a healthier home with our Bryant Indoor Air Quality Solutions. 
we can help with everything from whole home air purifiers to indoor humidity control. To schedule an evaluation of your home's air, visit Bryant.com to find a local dealer. Bryant, whatever it takes.